Brothers and sisters, please turn with me in your Bibles this morning to our text, which comes from the Gospel of Mark, as we will be looking at chapter 11 and verses 1 to 11 this morning. Mark chapter 11 and verses 1 to 11. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 to 11. Hear with me then the reading of God's Word. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of His disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and He sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. And He entered Jerusalem, and He went into the temple, And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Thus far is the reading of God's Word. Well, brothers and sisters, we have have entered the the portion of of Mark's Gospel that details the the last week of Jesus' life. And it's incredible when you think about it as Mark spends one-third of the entirety of his Gospel in the last week of Jesus' life. Which demonstrates to us, ought to display to us how important this last week is. And the gravity of this single event of our Lord riding into Jerusalem is likewise amplified by the fact that we find this in all four Gospel accounts. Now, if you remember, as we began this sermon series uh, over a year ago, we said that Mark's intention in writing this was for that the hearers to, to hear about Jesus and to believe that He is the Christ, the Son of God. And Mark doesn't hide his intentions. He doesn't hide his motives. Rather, he reveals them. Right away, chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And it's for this reason, I think, that that all four of the, the Gospel writers include this event. For in this event, we see prophecy concerning the Christ being fulfilled. And it is in the fulfillment of this prophecy that Jesus is more clearly revealed to us today. 
And one such place that we find fulfillment in Mark's Gospel is in the book of Zechariah. And I would ask, brothers and sisters, that you would turn with me briefly to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah is the second to last book of the Old Testament, right before Malachi. And we'll be looking at Zechariah chapter 9 and starting in verse 9. Zechariah chapter 9, starting in verse 9. We read this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your King is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is He, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Let us read verse 9 once more so that you... You, you, you hear this again. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your King is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is He. Humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. Right? Now we see in this great messianic oracle elements that are contained here in Mark's Gospel, do we not? In Mark's Gospel, we see the the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, which corresponds in Zechariah with Him saying, See, your King coming! In Mark's Gospel, we see the messianic animal, the, the donkey upon which Jesus rides in, which corresponds to, to what Zechariah tells us. As he said, this would occur that your king would ride humble and mounted on a donkey. Likewise, Mark records them shouting out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Which corresponds to the element in Zechariah where he records them shouting aloud and saying, O daughter of Jerusalem, And so what we see in Mark's Gospel today is Mark is tying Zechariah 9 to the events of Jesus riding in on the donkey today. And the reason why they shout is because as Zechariah likewise tells us in verse 9, Behold, your King is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is He. And so as the Israelites see Jesus coming in riding on the donkey, They recognize this is the fulfillment of of Zechariah 9. They believe the Messiah has, has come to bring salvation to the people. They believe that He has drawn near to the holy city to set up His temporal earthly kingdom and to conquer all of Israel's enemies. And it's really in this prophetic act of Jesus riding into Jerusalem in this manner that we see likewise Jesus declaring Himself to be King. And we know this based on how kings would ride into the cities after great victories themselves. right? Caesars, after warring with another nation and defeating them, would, would ride into Rome. And they would come to, to publicly declare their success. 
And when they entered a city, they would come wearing royal garbs. And they would come with a procession of armies riding in a chariot led by horses. And they would ride through the streets. They would go up to the temple. They would make a sacrifice to their pagan god for their victory and their success. And so we see kings would demonstrate themselves, would reveal themselves, would display themselves as kings in this manner. And here we see Jesus likewise openly and publicly declare Himself King as He enters in Jerusalem this day with a procession of saints. As He comes riding on a donkey. He comes and He proclaims Himself to be King. And yet, Jesus does so, as we will see, in a very different manner. As Jesus is a very different type of King that has come before. As Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem is done with the purpose of establishing an everlasting kingdom for which He was born for and for which He will reign over forever. Jesus' triumphant entry must be done so that this risen Jesus can take up the crown. And yet first He must suffer and die before He is to become the heavenly risen King before He can take up that crown. And so then our goal this morning, brothers and sisters, is to unpack these first 11 verses of chapter 11 in light of the fact that as Jesus rides into Jerusalem, He declares Himself to be King. And we're going to ask then what it means for God's people who are subjects to His heavenly reign, which I think the, the text intends for us to draw out this morning. And so we are going to do this then In three points, and the three points are these. First, obedience to the King. Obedience to the King. Second, honoring the King. Honoring the King. And third, blessings of the King. Blessings of the King. So first, obedience to the King. Look with me once more. In Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of His disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And He will send it back here immediately. And they went out away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus said. And they let them go. Now we read that even before Jesus enters into Jerusalem, that they, first they stop near two villages, and those two villages are Bethany and are Bethpage. Now, in John's Gospel, we are told that Bethany is about two miles away from Jerusalem, and Bethany would be the first city that they would approach from Jericho heading to Jerusalem. And so they, they stop in Bethany, and presumably then, Jesus asked these two disciples to go into Bethpage, which was ahead of them, 
and to go retrieve this colt that would be tied up. And in verse 4, then we are told that these two disciples went away and found the colt outside, tied up and untied it. Now, as His disciples, not knowing what Jesus knew, they must have been saying when Jesus told them to do this. What an odd request. Right? What, a, what a strange request this is for us to do. Right? We're, we've been traveling with Jesus for so long now. On three occasions, He has told us that the purpose of our journey is to go to Jerusalem where He must be delivered up and killed. And yet now, He stops. And He asks us to go get a donkey that we've never seen. That we don't even know exists in, in a place that we've never been. And yet, how do these two disciples respond? Right? How do they respond to the seemingly irrational requests from our Lord? Without question. Without question, they, they go and they do exactly what they have been commanded. And it's in this response that they demonstrate to us that they are His true apostles. For their response was a response made out of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, we are told this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Right? The, the response of these disciples to the, their Messiah's request was an act of obedience which sprang forth out of faith. They didn't see the horse. They did not believe it to be true based on what their senses told them. They simply believed what Jesus said. And they went and they did it. Now as believers, we too can confess faith in Christ. Yet brothers and sisters, how often does our lack of obedience to our Lord deny us our profession? Jesus tells us, love your enemies. He tells us, do not seek revenge. He tells us to forgive. He tells us to flee from the love of money. Right? He, he tells us to pursue righteousness. And yet, how often do we, professing Christians, disobey His commands? We find them hard to do. And because they are hard, we are so unwilling to do them, especially if we do not have a good explanation. Right? Oftentimes, internally, do we not say, well, why must I do this? We internally ask that question. Why am I to love my enemy when my enemy has been so wrong to me? He has been so evil towards me. Why am I to forgive my neighbor when my neighbor has not demonstrated proper repentance towards me? Why am I to forsake this friendship that I had with this person my entire life just because they tried to draw me into sinfulness and idolatry. We have all these questions, brothers and sisters, when in fact what we ought to be doing when the King commands us something is closing our mouth and doing exactly what it is He commands with no questions attached. Knowing that he is working all things according to His good will and purposes as King over heaven and earth. 
And as our King, we are to be His loyal subjects. And how are we His loyal subjects? By showing absolute obedience to our King. And so, no matter how unreasonable our Lord's requests might be to us, no matter how unagreeable unagreeable they are to us, like these apostles, we are to comply with His commands. Not just with the things that we agree with, but with everything that He calls us to. Things that might make you uncomfortable. Things that might even embarrass you. But our Lord commands us to do things. And in doing so, He is is stretching us. He is forcing us out of our comfort zones for our good and for His glory. Moses is a great example of this, right? We can think back to Exodus chapter 4 when the Lord tells Moses to to go to Pharaoh and to talk to Pharaoh and to tell him to to let his people go that they might worship their God. And what's Moses' response? Is his initial response one of absolute obedience to the Lord? Absolutely not. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, Moses says this, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken now to your servant. But I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. And brothers and sisters, was not the Lord faithful to Moses in all that He had commanded? This is the same Lord today who calls us to do things that we might not understand, but He is the same God who is faithful to His promises to us, who will not leave us, who will not forsake us, whose grace is still sufficient for us today. And we must know, we must recognize that no one or nothing will ever be able to stand in the way of us doing whatever God commands, if it be His will. As it is God who has sway over the hearts of kings and men alike. This is surely what the, these two apostles must have believed. Because as Jesus told them to go and untie a donkey from another village that they've never been, they must have thought, is Jesus asking us to go steal a donkey? Does He want us to go steal this donkey? And as they untie the donkey, what happens? They're actually approached by people, are they not? Who try to do what? They try to stop them. Why are you untying this donkey? In verse 6 we're told, some of them were standing. What are you doing untying the colt? And they must have initially thought to themselves, "Uh uh-oh, we're caught red-handed. But what did they remember? They remembered exactly what Jesus had commanded them to say. And so they said to them, the Lord has need of it. And when they obeyed the Lord's command and said what the Lord had commanded them, the men let them go. And it is because God moved those men to let them go. That is because when the the King of heaven and earth wills something to happen, it surely will come to pass. This is what King Nebuchadnezzar found out, did he not? When he had his kingdom taken from him? We're told in Daniel chapter 4, verse 35, 
Then he says this, that the Lord does according to His will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay His hand or say to Him, what have you done? And so it is our duty, brothers and sisters, as His loyal subjects, to obey His commands, to trust them, and just believe that He will carry us through them. And that means what we must do is is make the will of God our will. We must make the mind of God our mind. As we are told to to bring every every thought captive to obey Christ. And I know that this is difficult. This is hard. This goes against our nature. And so as people, as God's people, we must labor then. After true obedience which comes by faith, we must labor over walking faithfully before the Lord because our King is not just any King. Our King is the King of Kings. He is the King of Kings. He is a great King. He is a King who is great in and of Himself. Kings of the earth are made great by their subjects. But our King is great in and of Himself. Likewise, we are to obey our King not only because He is great, but we are to obey Him because He is glorious. This is what David tells us in Psalm 24, verse 10. He says, Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. You see, other kings have objects, have garments, have robes that display to others their glory. But our King is clothed in His own glory and righteousness and majesty and splendor. Likewise, we are to obey our great King as He is all-powerful. The the kings of the earth are, are made powerful by their armies, by their subjects. Our great King is in need of no assistance as He is all-powerful in and of Himself. And so since God is a great, glorious, and mighty King, should we not trust and obey all of His commands? Right? Should we not trust every word of Scripture that He gives to us? Should we not obey every single command that He tells us to obey? The two apostles who were sent out to retrieve this Donkey that has not been ridden on. They did. They obey. And you might ask, though, why? Why is that, why is that little tidbit added? Why is it that they have to go get a colt that has never been ridden on? Again, it is because he is king. The kings of this earth don't allow anyone to ride on their horses. They are for sacred use. And so, the the King of heaven and earth was not to have His donkey that He was to ride on be defiled either. And so they were to go get that colt that was to be unridden so that God incarnate might ride upon it into Jerusalem to fulfill all that was prophesied. Matthew in his Gospel explicitly tells us this. In chapter 21 and verse 4, he says, This all took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets. 
But brothers and sisters, what we see as these two apostles return with the donkey is not only their great desire to be obedient to Christ their King, but what we also see is their desire to honor Christ their King. And this takes us then to point number two this morning, which is honoring the King. Look with me at verses 7 and 8, please. We read this. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. And He sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. Now we're told that as soon as they bring this colt back, what do the two apostles do? We're told immediately they throw their cloaks on the back of this colt. His disciples, what we see here, were not going to allow their king to ride into Jerusalem without a saddle. They wanted to honor their king. And so they remove their cloaks and they throw them upon the back of this colt as Jesus is to sit upon it and ride this beast into Jerusalem. And yet in this event, including this throwing of the cloaks on the back of this colt, isn't this whole event really indicative to us of Christ's entire ministry? Right? Christ didn't even own a saddle. It was borrowed cloaks that were His saddle. Jesus didn't have a, a chariot with horses to, to ride in on as a great king. He didn't even own this poor little donkey. As J.C. Ryle says, we read that Jesus borrowed the colt for the occasion and sat upon the garments of His disciples for lack of saddle. This was in perfect keeping with the tenor of His whole ministry. He never had any of the riches of this world. When He crossed the Sea of Galilee, it was on a borrowed boat. When He rode into the holy city, it was on a borrowed beast. And when he was buried, it was in a borrowed tomb. Isn't this true? Isn't this true of Christ our King? Earthly kings would never ride into something, ride in on something so plain and humble. And we know this just by looking at leaders in our, our own world today. They ride in luxury. You're not going to find the presidents of, of countries being driven around in a uh, 1975 Chevy Nova, are you? No, they ride in, in motorcades of expensive vehicles. They hop out in expensive suits. They dine eating expensive meals with the most prestigious of people. It was not so with our Lord. Rather, Jesus voluntarily became poor as people today want to become kings to be rich. Jesus enters Jerusalem not with flashing lights and fireworks, but in meekness and in humility and in lowliness. And perhaps this is one of the reasons why our Lord is so often maligned during His ministry. 
He doesn't have a land that He points to and says, right here is my kingdom. He doesn't have a, a, an earthly throne that He went to go sit upon in which he, he ruled from. This is perhaps why He was so reviled for His claim to be king. Think about what the chief priests and the, and the scribes said as, as Christ hung upon the cross. They mocked Him saying He saved others, but He could not save Himself. Let Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. And so, brothers and sisters, I want us to see that our Lord's entrance into Jerusalem on this lowly colt was in keeping with His mission. Christ came in the form of a servant, not to be served, but to serve. He came subjecting Himself to the will of the Father to do all that the Father had commanded. He came to give His life a ransom for many. And so His riding in that day was a a great reflection of His entirety of His ministry. But what we see here, from the tossing on of these cloaks by the apostles onto the back of this donkey for Jesus to ride upon was a show of great honor and respect. Right? Although many people seen Jesus as an unworthy king, as a weak king, his apostles did not. They, they had seen something of the greatness and glory of their God. And so in this moment, they were not going to deny Christ their king a thing. And many others were told, threw cloaks on the ground. They threw large leafy branches on the ground so that as he made his way to Jerusalem, the, the donkey would ride upon these. And this was done as a show of honor. It was done as a show of respect to Christ their King. And we know this because this is done in other places in the Bible. We can look to a place like Second Kings chapter 9, verse 13. As uh, Jehu is anointed king over Israel, we're told this, Then in haste, every man of them took his garment, put it under him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed Jehu king. And so we see they took off their garments, they put them on the ground so that the king of Israel could walk upon the garments. They, they abased themselves by taking off their own property, what, they, what belonged to them, and allowing it to be dirtied by the feet of their king. And so I ask, as we see them abase themselves by using their garments for Christ to sit upon and using their garments for Christ to, to walk upon, is there anything in this world that we would withhold in order for our God in heaven to be glorified and honored today? Is there anything that we would refuse to give up if it would honor God? If it would honor Christ our King? Money, job, home, your life. Would you be willing to depart with them for His honor and His glory? I think for most Christians, the answer is no. For many, we see that by the decisions and choices that they make every day in life. They demonstrate that they care more for their own honor than they do the honor of Christ. Professing believers today dishonor God every day, living contrary to His Word. 
Believer, believing and professing saints today dishonor God through their unrepentance of sin. They dishonor God by being slack and negligent in their worship of their Almighty God. And so we should ask, how do we honor then Christ our King? How do we honor Him? Well, we honor Him by heeding and obeying His voice which proceeds forth from His Scriptures, which you hear today. We honor Christ our King by confessing Him in a world that is growing more and more hostile to His name. We honor Him by fearing Him, by showing proper reverence and awe for Him. We honor Him by trusting Him and never questioning Him. We honor Him by resting in His finished work. We honor Him by pursuing righteousness and every day mortifying the deeds of the flesh. We honor Him by turning to Him for everything we need. Knowing that He has promised as Almighty God and King to provide for us everything that we need, both physically as well as spiritually, and believing that He will. And then last, we honor Him by living in complete subjection to His will. It was the great Puritan Thomas Watson who said this, let us learn subjection to Him. You who have gone on in sin and by your impieties hung out the flag of defiance against your King, oh, come quickly in and make peace and submit to your God. So brothers and sisters, let us pray for opportunities to honor Christ our King both publicly as well as privately. Let us come before God and, and pray that He would help us and enable us to no longer dishonor Him by flying the flag of defiance. But rather, let, him, let, let us plead for His mercy that we might carry the flag of submission before our King each and every day. And this leads us then into our third and final point this morning, which is the blessings of the King. Look with me please, starting in verse 9. And those who went out before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna is in the highest. And He entered Jerusalem and they went into the temple. And when He had looked around at everything, as it was already late, He went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, brothers and sisters, Hosanna means save us. Hosanna means save us. And so what we see here is the people invoking the name of the Lord, believing that Jesus has come in this moment to bring salvation to the nation. They believe that He has come to save Israel. He has come to deliver, him, deliver them from their enemies. That He has come to deliver them from the, the rule of foreign captors. Which is why they shout, Blessed is the coming of the kingdom of David. Hosanna in the highest. They were ready to receive the blessings of God. Which they thought was going to be brought about through the establishment of the Davidic kingdom through Christ who was going to bring these blessings to the people. And although what is commendable is that they recognize Jesus as Messiah, what we see is that they also fail to get so much of His person correct. 
seeing him as only an earthly king, one in a line of men that come after David. They failed to recognize that in fact, God was with them. God was among them. Right? Yahweh saves was in their presence. They failed to recognize that the salvation that He was bringing as He journeyed into Jerusalem was one that He was going to secure for them. Not to free them from their physical enemies, but instead He was to free all of those who were to believe in His name from the enemy of sin. He had come to bring deliverance, but not from foreign oppressors, but rather He has come to bring deliverance from the tyranny of the evil one. Jesus has come to not set up a temporal earthly kingdom, but He has come to establish an everlasting and heavenly kingdom. This is what they miss out on. This is what they fail to realize. And today, how many miss out on who Christ is and what He has come to do as well? How many believe Jesus came in order to bring us financial prosperity? How many believe that Jesus came in order to be our moral exemplar? How many believe that when Jesus came, He he took off His divinity like it was a backpack and He just went around as a human being? And so sadly, although they may get Jesus in part right, they, like those who here look upon Him as Messiah, but just a man, in fact, will miss out on all of the blessings of the Lord that they believe was theirs. For in His triumphal entry, the salvation that Jesus was bringing was only to those who believed Him to be both Christ and Son of God. And such is true today. The salvation that Jesus offers unto people as we proclaim the Gospel is only for those who will receive Him both as Christ and Lord. And just like the Jews, when they see Jesus come in, they shout with joy. Brothers and sisters, all of us here today ought to likewise shout with joy, praise God, offer to Him thanksgiving for the sending of His Son. For although Christ no longer is physically present here on earth, traveling along on a donkey by which we can show Him honor by throwing our cloaks up before Him to walk on. It does not mean that Christ is still not here. It does not mean that Christ is still not with us. It does not mean that Christ is still being sent to cities today. For now He comes through the Word of God proclaimed here and everywhere on the Lord's day. Christ is sent to us through the Holy Spirit, when we participate in the Lord's Supper as we will do shortly here today. It is through the the ministry of the Word that Jesus is operating, working through His Spirit to convert the hearts of sinners and to sanctify the souls of the elect. And as God's people, and like the Israelites, then we should desire, we should pray for the advancement of God's kingdom, yet not in the manner that they that they did. For Christ's kingdom is a is a spiritual kingdom. 
by which He exercises His authority and power over His church. It is a spiritual kingdom, not a physical one. This is what, brothers and sisters, we ought to be asking for. This is what Jesus Himself teaches us to pray for. In the Lord's Prayer, we are to pray, Thy kingdom come. We are to be praying for the Lord to set up His kingdom of grace in the hearts of His people here today. We are to likewise pray that He would, His kingdom would actually come, that He would return and that when His kingdom comes in His presence and in His power, that we would be translated in, up into it with Him. Right? This is what we pray when we pray Your kingdom come. That Your kingdom of grace would come. That Your kingdom of glory would come. These are the blessings of the King. These are the things that Jesus secured for us as He traveled in on the donkey that day. Now our text comes to a conclusion in verse 11. As we're told, Jesus enters the temple and He walks around. And how, how ironic is it, right? That Jesus walks into the temple where the sacrifices are made. Jesus being the final sacrifice for the sins of His people. And He looks around and He probably sees it being profaned and desecrated. And so this is why the very next day on Monday He will return, which we will take up together next week. But as we close, I want us to see that throughout the Gospel, throughout this encounter here that we have read about, Jesus is orchestrating every event in His life. Right? Nothing happens apart from the time that it is supposed to happen. right? He knows the right time for everything to occur and in the manner it is to occur and in the place it is to occur. And so He's orchestrating and enacting every event that is happening. And as we see here on Sunday, the first day of the week after the Jewish Sabbath, Jesus enters into Jerusalem just days away from His death just days away from His victory over sin, death, and the devil, on an unridden, borrowed donkey, in all meekness, without pomp and circumstance, with cloaks for His saddle, anticipating His own humiliation on the cross, yet knowing that by it, He will enter into the heavenly Jerusalem as the heavenly temple to reign as our heavenly King. And with it, He will bring blessings to all the nations. Please bow your heads with me in prayer. Oh, heavenly King, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word. We thank You for the great encouragement that it gives to the saints. We thank You for nourishing our souls with the voice of our Savior. We ask, Lord, that You would make the reality that Christ is our King more real to us. That we might live in greater obedience to Christ. That we might be willing to show honor to Christ even if it means dishonor to ourselves. And that we might look to the the blessings that we have in Christ our King. So Father, we ask that You would, by Your Spirit, apply the truths of Your Word to our hearts, 
that You would cause us uh, to, to live out all that You have taught us this week. And we ask this in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.